0: This is a reading of another Mercola.com article. It's entitled, A New Global Attack to Censor Dr. Mercola. It's dated February 7, 2022. Story at a glance. Mere weeks after my announcement that I was reintroducing my article archives on Substack Library for paid subscribers, the mainstream press started calling on Substack to censor and remove vaccine critics from its platform. Recent hit pieces against me have been published by the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, The Guardian, Mashable, and others, in which they call for Substack to remove my censored library. Media are again relying on claims made by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, CCDH. According to this group, Substack is generating, quote, at least $2.5 million a year in revenue from just five anti-vaccine leaders who have amassed tens of thousands of subscribers, each paying $50 a year. The CCDH also claims the content on Substack is, quote, so bad no one else will host host it. Substack CEO Chris Best and his two co-founders have brushed off calls for censorship, saying that allowing the presence of writers with whom we strongly disagree is a Quote, necessary precondition for creating more trust in the information ecosystem as a whole. Well, that didn't take long. Mere weeks after my announcement that I was reintroducing my deleted article ar- archives and moving them to Substack, the mainstream press started calling on Substack to censor vaccine critics from its platform. All proceeds from my content library will be donated to our nonprofits, just like the profits from my book. To their credit, Substack CEO Chris Best and his two co-founders have refused calls for censorship saying, quote, "We believe that critique and discussion of controversial issues are part of robust discourse, so we work to find a reasonable balance between priorities." Unquote. The first section is entitled Hit Piece Parade. A recent hit piece by the Washington Post titled, quote, "Conspiracy Theorists" banned on major social networks, connect with audiences on newsletters and podcasts, unquote. Highlights how, after social media platforms have successfully removed counter-narratives, alternative platforms like Substack are now beginning to face the same scrutiny. Quote, Joseph Mercola, a leading anti-vaccine advocate, who has been restricted by YouTube and Facebook, this month warned that the unvaccinated might soon be imprisoned in government-run camps. The week before, he circulated a study purporting to use government data to prove that more children had died from COVID-19 shots than from the coronavirus itself. They go on. Shut down by major social media platforms, Mercola has found a new way to spread these claims. On Substack, researchers from the nonprofit. Center for Countering Digital Hate, say Substack makes millions of dollars off anti-vaccine misinformation. And again, and again, he continues, prominent figures known for spreading information such as Mercola have flocked to Substack, podcasting platforms, and a growing number of right-wing social media networks over the past year after getting kicked off or restricted on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As noted in the article, there is a fundamental difference between social media platforms like Facebook and platforms like Substack. On Substack, our information goes specifically to those who have opted in to get it. Those who want full access actually pay for it. But even that is unacceptable to those who want to control every thought in your head. According to WAPO, censored contact tent is censored because it could, quote, potentially lead people to engage in behaviors that endanger themselves or others, unquote. Hence, you shouldn't even be allowed to get it, even if you want it so badly you're willing to pay it, pay for it. Mashable and The Guardian also recently published near-identical hit pieces, calling me out by name as one of the primary anti-vax profiteers on Substack. What these and other articles like them clearly show is that when they can't win an argument or they're on the wrong side of history, they simply try to shut down the opposition to cover up their inadequacies. The rapid growth of paid subscription platforms has now led to Twitter and Facebook making plans for their own subscription-based newsletters. What they seem to be completely overlooking is the reason why people are turning to paid platforms. They flock there because that's where the truth, the censored information, is. No one in their right mind is going to pay more for Twitter and Facebook propaganda. The next section is, same shady propaganda tactics as always. As is the norm with hit pieces, the WAPO sent us a request for comment at 4.52 p.m., then published early the next morning stating that, quote, Mercola did not respond to a request for comment, unquote. This is a classic move to avoid giving the person they're defaming the chance to say something that makes them look like idiots. Another classic propaganda tactic employed in this piece is the projection that closed forums, including newsletters, are, quote, plagued with misinformation because they are essentially echo chambers in which users share similar viewpoints, unquote. But calling for censorship is actually a call for the creation of an echo chamber. The next section, dark money, hate groups, Wags the media dog. The media now relies on statements made by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, CCDH. They claim that Substack is generating at least $2.5 million a year in revenue from just five anti vaccine leaders who've amassed tens of thousands of subscribers, each paying $50 a year. The CCDH also claims the content on Substack is so bad that no one else will host it. This is ridiculous, considering people are willing to pay for content they were formerly getting free. People aren't willing to pay for something they think is useless or harmful. For health issues, one or two failed recommendations will turn people off for all time. So why would people follow me onto a paid platform? Funny enough, in its latest report, the CCDH claimed... The New York Times described the osteopathic physician Joseph Mercola as the most influential spreader of coronavirus misinformation online in 2021. Meanwhile, the New York Times cites the CCDH as the source of that claim. So the CCDH is using media reports of its own fabricated claims about me to support yet more defamation. They've obviously failed to update the lies as they never integrated Joe Rogan. His interviews with Peter McCullough and Robert Malone together garnered over 100 million views, putting him far, far ahead of me in reaching the public. The next section is a coordinated brainwashing campaign. The fact that all multiple news outlets rely on CCDH's reports, while never asking any questions about the group itself or how it justifies its fake claims, is an indication that a PR company is directing the censorship campaign. That's what PR companies do. They craft the messaging and coordinate the timing of the publication of the information. Reporters, meanwhile, have surrendered to this top-down dissemination of quote news and ceased to even pretend that they're following journalistic standards. None of them points out that Facebook itself has called out the CCDH as fabricator of lies. August 18, 2021, Facebook's Vice President of Content Policy, Monica Bickert, issued a statement saying there is no evidence to support the CCDH's claims that 12 people were responsible for 73% of vaccine misinformation on Facebook. After an investigation, they found that the Mercola platform was responsible for only a tiny fraction, 0.05%, of all vaccine content on Facebook. Here is an excerpt from Bickert's statement, quote, There is no explanation for how the organization behind the report identified the content they describe as anti-vax, or how they chose the 30 groups they included in their analysis. There is no justification for their claim that their data constitute a, quote, representative sample of the content shared across our apps. The next section is, who and what is the CCDH? It's a one-man organization with undisclosed funding and highly suspect connections to the technocratic deep state. Since the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020, the CCDH has been in the forefront calling for censorship and deplatforming of anyone who questions the experimental COVID jabs. Indeed, there's reason to suspect why that's why this organization was founded in the first place. It fabricates, quote, reports filled with opinions not backed by solid data, and these are used by mainstream media and government leaders to justify their censorship racket. Aside from its founder and CEO, Imran Ahmed, an unregistered foreign agent, the CCDH consists of a seven-person board of directors that supposedly supports and scrutinizes Ahmed's work. And while funding is stated as coming primarily from quote, philanthropic trusts, No specific trusts are listed. Digging into the composition of the Board of Directors provides interesting clues about its purpose. Through the connection of co-founder Morgan McSweeney, who left the CCDH for a chief of staff position with Labor Party leader Keir Starmer, we can deduce that the CCDH is connected with a technocratic hub that is the trilateral commission where Starmer is a serving member. The group can also be linked to other technocratic centers within the Globalist Network through its board chairman, Simon Clark, and board member Kirsty McNeil. Clark is a senior fellow for the policy think tank, Center for American Progress, and chairman of Foreign Policy for America. Other members of which include Stephen Grand, a senior fellow of the Atlantic Council, and Avril Haines, former deputy director of the CIA. Simon also served as the first director of web services for Reuters, one of the three global news agencies responsible for curating a vast majority of the world's news. McNeil, meanwhile, is a member of the European Council of Foreign Relations, another key player behind the Great Reset, and director of policy for Save the Children's Fund, which is funded by the Gates Foundation and a partner of Gates Vaccine Alliance. Another board member is Damian Collins, a member of the British Parliament and former chair of the House of Commons Digital, Culture, Media, and Sports Select Committee. Collins also founded InfoTagion, which, quote, seeks to fight the disinformation contagion around COVID-19, unquote. The next section is CCDH protects the Great Reset Agenda. And so the constitutional rights of American citizens are violated based on the opinions of an unregistered foreign agent who runs a tiny pop mom and pop pop-up group funded by dark money. As noted in a July 20th, 2021 drill down article, quote, according to its website, the left wing, wing center for countering digital hate prides itself on researching, exposing, and then shutting down users and news sites it deems unacceptable in the digital sphere. Users and news sites it deems unacceptable? That seems potentially dangerous, considering we know very little about the CCDH. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican from Missouri, expressed his concerns on Twitter with the following post. Who is funding this overseas dark money group? Big tech? Billionaire activists? Foreign governments? We have no idea. Americans deserve to know what foreign interests are attempting to influence American democracy. The next section is who's behind the attack on Joe Rogan? Spotify is under fire thanks to the extraordinary reach of Joe Rogan who continues to interview doctors and scientists about many things mainstream media refuses to touch. With each passing blockbuster interview, the call to take Rogan off the air grows louder. Even U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, has called on Spotify to ban Rogan's show. Hedge funds are behind the campaign by Neil Young and other artists to cancel Rogan and hurt Spotify's bottom line. It all began when Young posted an open letter on social media demanding Spotify make a choice, Rogan or him. Unless they ditch Rogan, Young would pull his music off Spotify. So Spotify remo- removed Young's material. The problem with Young's apparent virtue signaling is that he doesn't own all of his music catalog any longer. In January 2021, he sold 50% of his worldwide copyright and income interests in his catalog over, of over 1,180 songs to a company called Hypnosis. Hypnosis, in turn, was bankrolled a few months later in October 2021 with $1 billion from a private equity giant, Blackstone, which is seeking to gobble up real estate in the U.S. and turn us into a nation of renters. Among Blackstone's senior advisors is Jeffrey Kinder, a former chairman and CEO of Pfizer. HypGenesis slash Blackstone, with their intimate pfizer connection, now own and profit from Young's Music. So as suggested by NGD, it appears there may be far more to this story than Young deciding it's too dangerous to rock in a free world. The next section is Spotify is not a supporter of free speech. Ironically, while Spotify is trying to maintain the illusion that they're pro-free speech and support Reagan, they've taken down part of Reagan's valuable library that they paid so heftily for. As of April 13th, 2021, they had removed 42 episodes. They also canceled my, quote, take control of your health podcast in April 2021 for saying the same things Rogan and his guests discussed. The takedown notification claimed that my podcast was in violation of their content policies, which include a a prohibition of infringing content, illegal content, and hate content. The entire channel was taken down. Joe Rogan is now sharing the same information that I was banned for. Spotify has decreed that they will, however, place, quote, misinformation, warning labels, on any show that might not toe the line of official COVID narrative. It's another sign that Spotify isn't the safe haven for free speech that Rogan thought it would be. Glenn Greenwald said, quote, There is now a concerted war on any platforms devoted to free discourse and which refuse to capitulate to the censorship demands of democratic politicians and liberal activists. The spear of the attack are corporate media outlets who demonize and try to render radioactive any platforms that allow free speech to flourish. In the past, my legal team challenged Spotify after they removed a couple of my episodes, including one in the topic of electromagnetic fields – EMFs they made specific statements about why certain content could be removed and the episodes did not fall under any of these categories the arbitration judge however said spotify's terms of service allowed them to remove anything for any reason so there was nothing we could do we may have been one of the only clients to ever challenge spotify since then we've they've updated their terms of service to force arbitration into the state of new york and they have continued to blatantly censor contact, content with no explanation other than claiming a vague, quote, violation of their terms of service. The next section is entitled, A Religion of Censorship. In a January 30, 2022 Zero Hedge article, independent journalist Glenn Greenwald, himself a Substack refugee, noted, quote, the pressure campaign to remove Joe Rogan from Spotify reveals the liberal censorship religion. American liberals are obsessed with finding ways to silence and censor their adversaries. Every week, if not every day, they have new targets that they want deplatformed, banned, silenced, or otherwise prevented from speaking or being heard. For years, their preferred tactic was to expand and distort the concept of hate speech to mean views that make us uncomfortable, and then demand that such hateful views be prohibited. We now hear Democrats assert falsely that the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech does not protect hate speech. Their political culture has long inculcated them to believe that they can comfortably silence whatever views they arbitrarily place into this category without being guilty of censorship. He goes on, The newest and now most popular censorship framework is to claim that their targets are are guilty of spreading misinformation or disinformation. These terms by design have no clear or concise meaning. Like the term terrorism, it is their elasticity that makes them so useful. Corporate outlets beloved by liberals are free to spout serious falsehoods without being deemed guilty of disinformation. And because of that, they do it routinely. This disinformation term is reserved for those who question liberal pieties, not for those devoted to affirming them. There is now a concerted war on any platform devoted to free discourse and which refuses to capitulate to the censorship demands of democratic politicians and liberal activists. The spear of the attack are corporate media outlets who demonize and try to render radioactive any platforms that allow free speech to flourish. Case in point, Chelsea Clinton, who was born into the lap of luxury and handed a cool $9 million to serve on a corporate board, tweeted out the Guardian's hit piece about anti-vaxxers making at least $2.5 million a year from publishing on Substack with the comment, anti-vax grift going strong. Why is Substack facilitating science denialists' ability to profit from destructive lies? As noted by Alex Berenson, another Substack refugee, Chelsea apparently expected Twitter high-fives for her denunciation of anti-vax grift. 5,600 replies later, things did not go as planned. People have no problems pointing out Chelsea's own inclination for grift, and some of the references they cited were more popular than her original tweet. As noted by Berenson, when the first reply ripping you gets more likes than your tweet you might want to reconsider whether your position is is as popular as you thought the next section will the censored library survive on substack whether substack will keep to its course and resist demands for censorship remains to be seen for now i'm op- i'm optimistic substack co-founders hamish mckenzie chris best and jiraji Sethi, wrote in a January 26, 2022 post, quote, last year in an interview with the New York Times, anthropologist Heidi Larson, founder of the Vaccine Confidence Project, said that efforts to silence people who doubt the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines won't get us very far. She said, if you shut down Facebook tomorrow, it's not going to make this go away. It'll just move. Public health solutions then would have to come from a different approach. We don't have a misinformation problem, she said. We have a trust problem. This point rings true to us. That's why, as we face growing pressure to censor content published on Substack, that to some seems dubious or objectionable, our answer remains the same. We make decisions based on principles, not PR, and we will defend free expression, and we will stick to our hands-off approach to content moderation. The Substack co founders continue. While we have content guidelines that allow us to protect the platform at the extremes, we will always view censorship as a last resort because we believe open discourse is better for writers and better for society. We are living through an epidemic of mistrust. Trust in social media and traditional media is at an all time low. Trust for the US federal government to handle problems is also at a near record low. Trust in the U.S.'s major institution is within two percentage points of the all-time low. The consequences are profound. Declining trust is both a cause and an effect of polarization, reflecting and giving rise to conditions that further compromise our confidence in each other and in institutions. They finish off by saying, To put it plainly, censorship of bad ideas make people less likely, not more likely, to trust good ideas. The key to making this all work is giving power to writers and readers. That's why at Substack we focus on subscriptions instead of advertising, and it's why Substack writers own and control their relationships with their readers. And Mercola concludes, Without doubt, Substack is presently one of the best sources of good ideas available, for the very reason that free speech is allowed. In the end, leadership that depends on censorship to achieve its goals tends to fail for the simple reason that it erodes trust.